What's up guys? It's your boy Goosenov back at it again with another one of these videos. Anyway, so I'm speaking to you. Never mind. Forget forget when I'm recording this. Um, but let's get into it. Today I wanted to talk about architecture and design and maybe the reason why I think modern architecture and design has a certain, I don't know, a certain ugliness to it and a certain soullessness to it that I think many people have had a, had trouble putting their, putting their finger on, on why. So yeah, let's, let's get into it. And this isn't going to be just saying, oh yeah, modern art looks bad or whatever. We're actually going to be going deep into, I think, a, a core and fundamental uh, reason why that I, I don't think it's, it, it's not just a nebulous, like, oh, it just looks bad. We're going to be talking about why, why and how to actually make it better in the future. Okay, let's get into it. Um, with that said, I'm going to be kind of working off of the kind of patchwork of ideas that I've picked up along the years. Um, I haven't really read that much philosophy. I haven't really read that much. I'm not really a, a, a scholar of philosophy, but I've have a few friends who are very into the subject who have taught me a lot. And this, honestly, it's probably like a caricature of what the actual facts of the situation are. But I think that they're, they'll probably suffice for this working theory. Anyway, let's get into it. So let's start in the Enlightenment. I think the what was happening in the Enlightenment, the Enlightenment was at the kind of the, the beginnings of the scientific revolution. And I think that already, I mean, there was, people were extremely religious in that time frame. but I think that the intellectuals, and I might be wrong, but I think that the intellectuals were slowly starting to move away from, from, from the idea of God, and the idea of like an old order. And I think fundamentally what comes about through the concept of God is the idea that that reality all the way down and the reality all the way up is infinite to an extent infinite and potentially unknowable i think and i think this 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 kind of conception of god can be seen through the idea of the burning bush and this this is kind of an idea i came up with a a few years ago or a year ago I don't know um, but essentially you have kind of the the tendrils at the top of the bush right that are in on fire and are I mean since it's a bush that won't burn right but it's generating smoke you got this creation going all the way up to infinity and that's kind of the potential of what can be you know or the infinite limits of the cosmos or whatever you want to call it. Um, I'd, I'd personally just say that that's the limit of creation, the limit of what can be. And then reaching down to the earth, you have the roots of this bush, right? And I would say that the roots go all the way down. They're infinitely long, or maybe they're fractally kind of going into like, you know, they start big, but then they're, kind of going down and, and becoming infinitely small or something like that, but they're still infinite. Um, and I would say that's kind of the infinite code or maybe not code, but the infinite kind of maybe the truths that lie on the bottom of reality. Um, the, 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 you know, the, the basis, the fundamental foundations of reality. Um, so it's infinite, it goes infinitely high in terms of potential, in terms of what can happen, 
and what can be created rather not just like oh well whatever and then it goes infinitely down in terms of what the foundations are and i would say the intersection of that right in the middle is is what we can perceive as as humans and i would argue that i mean this is kind of the father son and holy spirit the father is the creator the spirit is kind of i would argue the you know the spirit of reality you know the foundation and then the sun is what we can kind of interface with the the, the thing right in the middle and this is kind of the, the catholic church says that the spirit is in the middle interfacing between this father and son but i'm say, i would say that it's the, the trinity it's not it's not it's not something I think you can define with just one definition, but this is one definition um, that, that I think can describe an aspect of it. The, the, the sun is something that we can have direct contact with. It's Christ. Anyway, that's, that's an idea I think that, that holds true for, for um, a conception of, 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 of Christ, a Christian cosmological or ontological or, or, or whatever. I don't know epistemological study of truth um an epistemological christian understanding of what the nature of an aspect of reality that's 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 what i'm trying to say this is kind of i would say the christian interface in reality we can continue to learn about it we can continue to learn about it but will we ever completely know everything i think or will we completely know like, I think the truth is something that you can't just, oh, I know it. Because I would say that your mind is infinite, I would say. Or that you can have an infinite comprehension of everything. Um, and hell, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can know the, 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 the fundamental principles of everything. And maybe that's, maybe that's very well true. Um, but I think that Christianity says that truth is something that is not something that, it's less of something that, you just know, oh, I just know the truth. It's more of something you have a relationship with the truth and you interface with the truth and it, it gives you insights about reality or anyway, we're getting a little off topic here. Um, but anyway, that's in my understanding what I, I, what I would say is a certain view of Christian epistemology. Anyway, now I would say that in the Enlightenment, and this is probably butchering what actually happened, but it's, I'd say, could be true to an extent. In the Enlightenment, from my understanding, one of the fundamental goals was to create a kind of a new system. You know, you had that other framework, the burning bush kind of system. But to create a completely new system wherein you can you try and find the the bottom of of reality you try and find like what's at the core what's uh you know what's at the deepest part of reality and then let's let's rationally come up with something from first principles and that's kind of the uh the other methodology so with that methodology like you have i think um what was the guy's name um Descartes, I think, with his, I think, there, they, therefore I am. It's like, okay, this is the most fundamental thing that you could possibly come up with. I think, therefore I am. And then they tried to, like, build an entire framework of, okay, now let's, let's learn everything about the world from this fundamental principle. Um, and from, from my understanding, the Enlightenment Project failed because that's... I don't think that's even a fundamental principle or maybe it's a fundamental principle at some level, but from my understanding also Kant Hume Hume had a problem of induction and I, uh, I don't think I can do it justice at all here, but I feel like that, that kind of pokes a hole in how logic kind of works or like you. And I think Kant said that belief is an element of, of, of kind of rationality so, and kind of my takeaway from that is that you need to have, um, 
you need to have in in some sense a uh, kind of some things that you hold as true before you can really come to a uh, I mean use logic to come to any meaningful conclusion I think maybe I'm wrong I'm just gonna say okay maybe I'm wrong about everything that I say here because I'm not a scholar on the subject so just bear with me that's what I'm gonna say that now and I'm gonna stop saying it for the rest of the podcast okay um so Kant okay Kant said belief is an element of truth and and, and I mean I think I mean it's kind of true you can't just rationally say oh yeah let's let's use first principles and come up with everything cuz I could I think with just pure logic I could argue that that I could argue that like eating babies is a good thing probably like logically I could use like very good logic and say oh yeah no baby eating babies is a good idea um and I could argue for the exact opposite point and I could argue for probably anything that I possibly want to I could say like oh yeah you know what I mean jump dumping garbage everywhere it's probably an extremely good thing because because at the end of the day you're you're utilizing the full space that you have so it's actually not really wasteful because you're putting it everywhere and what that would do is it was an it would encourage people to not pollute as much because if the garbage is everywhere then that would mean that it's right on their front doorstep and they would have to confront it there instead of just shipping it off somewhere else and forgetting about it so we should put everyone should just dump garbage everywhere see i could argue i could come with i would say a decent argument for why you could do anything I'd, I mean, look at high school debate clubs. They argue for basically anything, and they have like a to, they make a sport of it. So I think that the idea that you can just logically you can use pure logic to come up with with to, to to conclusions is absurd. You need to have some you need to have a moral baseline, right? And I think just looking at this country, right? I would say that I mean, it's in a how would you say it? It's a How would you say it? It's a few degrees removed. Um, or maybe not a few. It's a little, um, not abstract, but... Um, no, it, it's a little simplified, but I think it still holds true to an extent. Um, but you have the camp of the Republicans and the camp of the Democrats, right? Or whatever, right, left wing, blah, blah, blah. And I would say that fundamentally, they hold different core beliefs, different truths to start out with, you know, different beliefs. And from their own kind of modes of logic, they've developed entire worldviews that are extremely dissimilar from the others. And people say, oh, well, they just need to, uh, you just, they just need to, to, to compromise or da-da-da-da, or they need to come to a consensus. It's like, you can't come to a consensus if the fundamental truths that you both hold are completely different. Because rationally, you're going to come to completely different conclusions, and you're going to think that you're bulletproof in those conclusions because you came to them rationally. But the real issue is that you hold fundamentally different beliefs. Um, yeah. Anyway. So the Enlightenment Project was a problem, was, was, was kind of failed. And that was kind of, I would say that that, mode of thinking where, you know, we can do this ourselves. It's kind of humanism where humans are the center rather than kind of a transcendent ideal. Um, it was, a, I would say that was a form of rebellion. It's like a rebellion against the previous order, rebellion against God almost. Um, and I would say that, that potentially what happened here is they said, okay, we have all this, this this previous philosophical dialectic or whatever. Let's just erase it all, start from the ground up, see what where we get get with that. And and that in and of itself, I would say, is an act of revolution. An act of revolution is to like let's say you have a you have a monarchy, right? You have a monarchy 
the ruler dies and the next ruler comes up. <coughs> the ruler dies, the next ruler comes up, blah, blah, blah. There's a level of continuity there. There's a level of continuity there. <coughs> and... If you're going to change the system, I mean, you could have a civil... <coughs> you could try and maybe overthrow the current monarch and put in a new monarch, right? And you'd still have some continuity there. Because you have a, a system where you try and, like, modify the existing system or something else. But the other option is a complete revolution where you destroy the current government and you completely just start from a blank slate and come up with something completely new. Um, and I'd say that the Enlightenment was something like this. The American Revolution was something like this. The French Revolution was something like this. And, and, and this was a, a kind of an idea that, that really started... How would you say it? Spiraling uh, or snowballing. And I would say that this kind of formed a foundation of, of what we know t today is maybe, I guess, modern or maybe revolutionary Marxism, wherein you need to overthrow the current capitalist system in, in order to, to uh, get to the utopia or whatever. Um, and I'd say that, was it Hegel? I think Hegel's idea of the dialectic is, is, a, is, a, is a very good one. And I think that history is a dialectic. I think that, 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 that there's, you know, there's, you know, what is it? Thesis, antithesis, antithesis, and then synthesis. I think that that's kind of a true pattern. But I think that the way that, that revolutionary Marxist interpreted it was that antithesis and maybe this is how Hegel talked about it, but I don't think this is really completely true, where it's a complete, like, utter 150% negation. Um, or a revolutionary negation, where it's like you erase everything from the previous thing. I think that that's not really how it should work. Um, or, or, or I don't think that that's how, like, a proper dialectical process works. I don't think you just discard everything, you know, in your negation of, 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 of finding the truth. It's a, maybe, I would say it's like a modification where like there's some major aspect and then you find out like, okay, what's, what's an alternative to this? And then, and then the synthesis of it is, is a, you know, the first method and the second method and then seeing what's in the middle between it or what's how, what, what's, what works in both of those. It's not a, okay, we have a system one, and then we, oh, I'm building a, I'm building a chair. Now let me build a car. What's the synthesis between a chair and a car? I don't think that that's how it works. Or I don't think that that's how it should be. I think it's like, okay, I have a chair with five legs. Okay, now I have a chair with three legs. What's the synthesis? A chair with four legs or some, something like this. And who knows? Maybe this is completely whatever. But anyway, I think Marxists took the idea of the dialectic applied the Enlightenment revolutionary idea on top of it and came up with something really stupid where where they thought, the, you know, because history is a, is a beautiful and amazing dialectic process that, that is important. You know, the dialectic process of history is a really important aspect of history. But... And, and I think because of because they realized the importance of the, the you know historical dialectic dialectic, they said, or they had a huge amount of fervor behind their Marxist revolutions of the early twentieth century, and beyond, because they said this is fundamental. We need to create the negation, when in reality the negation isn't something you just make. I would say that it's something that that exists naturally within the, the human computer. Um, you know, kind of a market system or whatever. People will naturally 
all of their collective decisions exist within this kind of, you know, oscillatory framework. Anyway, given this, this, you know, this interpretation of, of Hegel, you know, this core interpretation of Hegel and Marx in the revolutionary lens of the Enlightenment, because I think Marx and Hegel do have good, very, very good points. I just think that the way that revolutionary Marxists of the 20th century uh, utilized it was, 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 was stupid and, and ideological. Like, if your ideology is terrible. Um, also, your beliefs matter. And I'd say that the beliefs that they had, the ideology that they had, and the, the, the idea of, of kind of revolution being like an, a, a de facto good thing is, is, it was, I don't know, pretty bad. Um, and, and you could also say, okay, the American revolution was, was a revolution, but I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it was more of a rebellion. Um, it wasn't a complete overhaul of, of, of a, a previous system into a completely new system. It was, it was existing colonies that already had their own autonomy, you know, formally severing the ties to a parasitic, you know, monarchistic state. So I don't, I don't really think that that was a revolution, but I do think the French revolution was definitely a revolution because they were overthrowing the monarchy. And then, I mean, I think whenever you see like true revolutions exist, it's, there's 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 a level of evil to it that that is i mean you, you can really see it's palpable the, the evil that you see in a lot of these revolutions like the french revolution gosh like they were they were killing like i think thousands of people the marxist revolutions obviously you, you know you know how terrible those were right the khmer rouge the uh, the holodomor um i mean stalin uh, mao like like literally, literally, literally tens to even hundreds of millions of people, which is an unfathomable number, were, were murdered. And and you could say, oh, well, it's, it's, it's not actually, it's like, okay, just, it's, 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 this isn't really something that you can, you can just gloss over and you can't just say, oh, actually, actually, the Soviet Union um, actually had a lot of economic progress and it came from an agrarian society to what it is now. Like that's 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 this that is that is I don't know that seems like to me an idiotic way to to refute like oh like to refute the, the 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 objective evil of this this kind of of what these systems how these systems emerged you know the revolutionary aspect of it um, but okay anyway my point is the idea of revolution the idea of of of, of seeing of, of having a system you know an order that existed in the past and then just completely severing the order and trying to create it all anew from yourself i would say that there that's there's something very bad about that now let's get to the let's get to the point that i was trying to get to in this, in this, uh, in this show, the point is that I would say that 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 I mean, Mark, uh, revolutionary Marxism kind of blossomed into this uh, evil monstrosity, this Cthulhu of 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 uh, this many tentacled little monster of uh, of of, of uh, critical theory, um, where you have. I guess feminism, uh, of course, Marxism, post-colonialism, gender theory. What else? I think there might be like a few other, um, or, or post-modernism. All these other things, all these tentacles, right? Came out of this kind of revolutionary thing. And we're not going to go into everything right now, but I would say that in terms of postmodernism, from my understanding of it, postmodernism, in terms of art and design, it looks like what they were trying to do was have a revolution in the arts. 
Now, if you look at the historical dialectical process of art, all the way from medieval to modern times, right? You can see a very, like, there, there's beauty in all that art, but it's all built on the shoulders of a previous art style. It's all 100% built on the shoulders of a previous art style. And it's not, and, and, and what happens, I think, when you have postmodernism is it's a revolution in the arts. So what does that mean? That means that they take the dialectical historical process of art, right? An iterative process going over hundreds or thousands of years that slowly, you know, has a, synth, has, a, has, a, has, a, has a thesis, right? An idea of what art is. And then an antithesis, like, like, let's look at the medieval times, right? They didn't have perspective, right? Like, that's the, the, the thesis. And then the antithesis would be like, okay, um, what if instead of having no perspective, we have perspective, right? That's not, a, that's not a destruction of a previous system that is a modification to it, right? But in an opposite direction. Okay, it's like, it's like a contrast, right? You don't say one color is the opposite or, or is, is the negation or the whatever of another. I think Hegel, I think, I don't know, I think, I think Hegel was, was, was not very precise, had, was, had, a, had a right, the right idea, but I don't think, I think he was onto something good, but it wasn't completely true, probably. Um, but the negation is... I don't think that that's true. It's like it's a modification rather than a. Uh, anyway, anyway you, you, we've gone over that already. But you have no perspective, and then you have perspective. And what's the what's the synthesis? I mean, looking looking at like the the bright colors of the medieval time with kind of the uh, with the perspective of of this stuff, right? And, and uh, there's definitely a synthesis of kind of the two art styles, and you can anyway, anyway. Go, we're let's let's focus. Let's stay, stay on topic. Um, but anyway, you have some something like that process iteratively moving through history, and it's a pathway that is kind of unbroken until you hit a revolution, and what what the revolution. We'll call them revolutionists, you know, the revolutionary Marxists, revolutionary postmodernists tried to do is they said, okay, we have this long line of art. Let's cut it off and let's create something completely new. Picasso and a lot of these abstract surreal artists, I don't think that they're really, I wouldn't really classify them as, as revolutionary. Um, because they were, I think they were piggybacking off of Impressionism. But I do think that 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 a lot of what we what we do see maybe in the mid twentieth century can be classified as as attempting to be revolutionary. Um, and 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 to an extent, I'd say that you still have some histor some historical continuity, but. It's really the, the 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 power of the historical continuity that we see is is lacking to an extent, lacking to a huge extent, I would say. Um, but but yeah, you look at an impressionistic painting, right, which is late nineteenth uh, century compared to a Jackson Pollock painting. Like, there's no there's no bridge between those two. There's no real, like, you, you can't see anything from a Renaissance painting in a Jackson Pollock painting. You can't see anything in a, uh, yeah, you can't, like, like, like when you have a, a, a canvas that is just one color, or a canvas with splotches on it, or a canvas with wiggles, or this or that, or whatever. Um, you know, extreme abstract art doesn't really have a historical continuity. Now you could argue that that like Picasso and and uh, I'm just using the same anyway, you you could argue that that some of these people who kind of are 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 you hold on. Okay, camera shut off.
we're gonna start this again. All right, where were we? Okay, let's let's get back into this. <coughs> but the idea is that how would you say it? Historical continuity, something, something. Uh, where were we going with this? Okay, no, okay. You could argue potentially that that impressionism led to uh, led to people, you know, more abstractly defining kind of a picture, right? You know, instead of instead of showing every detail of a of a, of a scene, we're, you're going to show the emotion of the scene, and then that led to, okay, what if we abstractly show the emotion? So you could say that there's like a dialectical process there, and then people say, okay, you show abstract emotions in abstract ways. What if we just show the pure abstract? Maybe there's a continuity there, right? But it's which which I would say that could be considered a a, a short shortfall. Or pitfall in this theory potentially, um, which is why I'd also say that there are other variables. This isn't just a okay. There, the revolutionary spirit ignored the dialectic. I would also say that there's a, a spiritual element, like in terms of belief, right? I would say that you need to, in order to create good art, you need good belief. I mean, the people who created the cathedrals. I mean, I'd say that they had, they had a pretty damn good set of beliefs that led to the creation of what they made. It was, it didn't, the cathedrals just didn't come about from just people who, who, you know, some backwards, ignorant idiots. It came about from people who were extremely cultured, extremely philosophical, extremely, you know, thought about reality on a very deep level. And that's how they were created. You didn't have people who you didn't have the people who made uh, Big Mouth create cathedrals, and you'll never have the people who who made Big Mouth create cathedrals. You'll never have, um, I don't know. Y you know what I'm saying. I I, ho I hope, but anyway, we're just exploring one side of this, the dialectical side. There are more variables in why modern art doesn't look good. You know, modern design doesn't look good. But one variable, I would say, is the attempt at revolution. You know, there is some continuity. There is some continuity, right? But the intent behind it was a revolution, was a complete cutting off of the previous modes of, of being in beauty. And you could argue, you could also argue... That what happened, it maybe, maybe this revolution began before Impressionism. You know, what if this began right at the Enlightenment? Because what you do see in, in the Enlightenment, so you see, like, after the Enlightenment really kicks off, things, you have the height of, like, very realistic kind of classical paintings. And then that's kind of when Impressionism begins, you know, Romanticism and Impressionism. And maybe that was an attempt at revolting against the previous thing, you know. And maybe the idea here is, 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 is you know, maybe they were like, okay, we, we need to continue the dialectic. But instead of interpreting the dialectic as a modification, you know, they interpreted it as the negation, right? And... Through, through the negation, they were like, okay, we need to create something completely opposite of what, what, what was happening previously, right? And, and in the attempt of that, they created, like, extreme abstract art. And then they created, like, like bizarre postmodern art, right? Which, which they tried to make completely the opposite of, of what came before it. Anyway. All I'm saying is that there is complexity here. But the point is... I would say that there is a, a very strong element of the revolution, an attempt to cut off a historic, long-running dialectical process where there is continuity achieved, uh, maintained within a field.
and modifications and iterations, right? And in engineering, we learned that you can't just you can't just create something. You need to create a prototype, then iterate on the prototype, and iterate and iterate and iterate and iterate, right? You don't just oh, I'm just going to throw away the prototype and make a new one. No, you work on the one that you have, kind of, and or the design that you have, and modify it. And maybe if you need to go from square one, then you do that. But it's, prototyping is a constant process. Um, I mean, I don't think I've ever heard someone tell me to throw away a prototype. Like all all the prototypes you have have value, um, and they answer a question. But anyway, the point is, the point is, um, shoot, <laughs> uh, what, what, what were we talking about? Okay, let's get to the point. Now let's look at architecture. If you look at like a, a, a building from the 19th, and here's the thing, okay, this is where I have no formal, really real training. I just have lots of experience. But you look at buildings from the 19, 19th century, early 20th century, they all have a very, they all look very beautiful, I would say. And there's a very clear continuity that you see there like what you see you see in buildings in london right in the monuments of london you see echoes of of the 1700s of of the uh of the colonial rule and then you see echoes from that of earlier times you know Maybe you see some Germanic influences. Well, I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> and before that, you see da-da-da, and you see medieval influences, and then you see... And before that, then you see Roman influences. And you can see all the way up to modern, or, or, or you know... Yeah, it's architecture of maybe up to the 1930s, a... a, a deliberate continuance all the way down to from Rome and beyond, right? Rome, Roman architecture developed into medieval and that developed into maybe Germanic and then British. And I don't even know, honestly, whatever. And then like one, one example of this is you look at the, uh, look at, look in the United States, look at, look at Washington, right? That has very clear, it's very clear that you can see Roman influence in there, but you can also see kind of architecture that you'd find maybe in Britain. And you see some medieval monumentalist elements and you see this, but all of that stuff is, is building off of the, 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 the people of the past. And, and by doing that, you don't just rely on the fallible and weak mind of one single person. You, you rely on like a, a huge supercomputer network of, of thousands or millions of people who existed in the past, if not billions of people that came into creating the art that exists today. And, and I would say that, that, that this is something that like, that allow that creates a huge amount of power in design, in art, in architecture, pulling from the past, what people have already figured out. And then adding your own spin, right? You have the old masters who teach the new people how to design, how to create. And then the new people, they learn how to add a little bit more to it. You know, this is historical continuity. Excuse me. And what happens in revolutionary post postmodernism is the artists, architects, designers of that time say, okay, we need to cut off this. We need to negate, you know, we need to create the antithesis. <clears throat> we need a revolution in architecture and art design. And they, 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 they disregard everything of the past. And what happens 
is instead of creating buildings with columns, you know, buildings with brick and, and, and beautiful facades and all these other things, they create, you know, Minecraft block houses, Minecraft cubes. They create just pure glass skyscrapers that look like, you know, just cubes and this and that. They create Soviet architecture, right? I mean, looking at Soviet architecture, I, I mean, I've been to Europe, I've been to Eastern Europe. Soviet architecture, even compared to what we have now, it looks even, has, yeah, that even has a little more soul to it because the people, well, anyway, that's a different story. Anyway, but, but it, it's, I mean, it's surprising because actually Soviet architecture kind of looks similar to what we're, what we're building now. It's like neutered, androgynous buildings with, that look, that have no defining characteristics. They're just, you could say, oh, yeah, go to the building, go to the shiny building with uh, some shiny square-like building. Which one? There's, all of them are shiny square-like buildings. Anyway, but this this kind of, anyway, I think the designers, they, they cut off the, 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 the continuity. They said, okay, we need to create something new, create something new for, from us, right? And and by doing that, they, they cut off themselves from that supercomputer, that, 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 that that continuity of, of millions of people because I don't know it, it's crazy because by relying on 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 history right tradition you are you're putting the effort of all of these people you know all all millions of people thousands thousands millions whatever they're all drawing the thing with you they're all making the thing with you because they figured it out before you and you are 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 adding to that process, you know, and then you're going to be helping people in the future. Anyway, I think you get the point. Um, but they, but modern architects and designers didn't do that, and they said, you know what, we're going to create something completely from scratch, and and by doing so, they cut themselves off from from thousands of people, millions of people. Who could have helped them out, you know? You know, who who would have already figured things out for them? But they said, yo, we'll do it all ourselves. And by doing it all ourselves, you start from square one, you know? You start from the, the from from the caves, you know, the Lascaux caves or this or that. Which even even that has probably thousands of years of historical continuity. You start from maybe maybe like the first humans, you know. You, I, I don't even know. Anyway point is and they didn't you know there's still some continuity but they tried to they tried their best tried they tried their, their darndest to 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 abolish that continuity and 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 we see today the effects of that we see the effects of deciding to do, do it yourself oh i'm just gonna do i'm just gonna make it myself i'm gonna start from fresh i'm gonna start from scratch i'm smart enough i'm smarter than than the thousands of artists that came before me yeah, I'm I'm smarter than than the, the combined there, the the combined effort of thousands of people that came before me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And 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 the the results of that are ugly, idiotic, stupid buildings that are impractical, and just 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 soulless and dead because there is no soul to them. You know, art has soul in it because. The soul in that art is the thousands of artists that came before you working on it. Like, as I said, you know, they're holding your pen, they're, they're working with you, and they're creating the art with you, right? That's the soul to it, because it's not something that's, that's done in isolation. It's done as a community project. But when you say that you can do it all yourself, when you say, oh, yeah, you know, we're smarter than than everyone else. The fact is that you're not, even if you're a genius, you're not smarter than everyone else. Um, you know, you're not smarter than a billion people. You're not smarter than, than, than everyone in history, you know, which is, and, and, and I would say that, that you can definitely, you can see this in so many other areas too so many other areas where people see a heritage uh, 
see a lineage, see, see, see a line of all this stuff. And they, they think that they can just do things better. They think that, Oh, you know what? I don't care about who came before me. I don't care about the monuments, the things that were built, you know, the society that I have the luxury of being born into, you know, my birthright. They were given this, right? With the expectation that they need to maintain it and add to it. But instead they burn it and decide to do their own completely different thing. And, and I mean, you can come up with all these ideas yourself too, of where, where you see this, right? Just apply it anywhere you want. And you'll, you'll, you'll see this pattern emerging in modernity. Um, but, but I'd say that there's a fundamental lack of truth that exists within this ideology. And I don't think it could really be understated how uh, how important continuity is. Because the systems we have today, they're, they're, they're extremely precious. They're something that, they're things that have been built over the course of thousands of years by millions of people. And you can't, and to say that, 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 that that's something that you can just play with and destroy haphazardly is, is probably one of the most, the, 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 the biggest tragedies in all of human civilization when you think that you can you're smarter than everyone else and uh well we'll see how it goes we'll see how it goes we'll see how it all uh it all pans out in the end but anyway point being destruction is Destruction, revolution is destruction, I would say. Revolution is destruction, and it's nothing else. And those peddling the ideas of revolution are essentially peddling a mind virus that has the potential to do more damage than a nuclear bomb. And I mean that very literally. Because a nuclear bomb can destroy, you know, it can destroy buildings, it can destroy a city. But this mind virus, the mind plague of revolution, can destroy... a time garden, a a garden tended by billions of people throughout history, you know, both in ideas, in frameworks, in societies, in art, in design, and all these things. It can, it can light that garden on fire. And, hell, this is why this idea, ideology is, 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 is incredibly dangerous because, I don't know, that's more destructive because a city is easy to build. You can build a city in a few decades, maybe even less. Look at Hiroshima, look at Nagasaki, they're rebuilt they're completely rebuilt and they're bigger now than they ever were. But how difficult is it to rebuild art, to rebuild a beautiful society? How difficult is it to rebuild a people?
a culture, a history. It could be argued that, that it's impossible to rebuild that. It's something that you can't just, I don't know. You can, if, if a people have a history and you erase that, you know, if you destroy that, you destroy the people, you're not going to get those people back. You're not going to get that history back. You're not going to get that society back. You're not going to get that art back, especially if it's lost to the times of a tides of oblivion, right? If, if it's just washed away and forgotten, then you're completely destroying it. You can rebuild a city, but you can't rebuild continuity, I don't think. Or you can't rebuild, like, a lot of these things, I guess you can kind of try and rebuild, but you can't rebuild a history. And, yeah. Anyway, I think that's probably a good place to leave off. Um, yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I don't. I hate the word podcast. I hope you enjoyed this show. And please, 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 if you're watching this on Gumroad, download it. Download it. Email it to your friends or something like that. Email it to your friends. I don't care. I, I'd, I'd love you guys to do it. You know, you could you could even post this on YouTube and it's full. Post it full on YouTube or whatever. That could be fun. Um, I don't care. But uh, but yeah. Hope you enjoyed. Let me know if there's anything else you want me to talk about. But I appreciate your time. Peace out, everybody.